few than ten sons. Now, women, guys, who, who of you agree with Elkanah's statement? Like, babe, what's, what's, what's wrong? Am I not enough for you? I mean, come on. Everything's all right. I love you. It's okay that you don't have any children. You know, you, you know you're, the, you're the apple of my... Just, I mean, all of these words coming out. Am I not good enough for you? Sorry, ladies, we, ju- we just don't get it. Women, you get Hannah's... Well, maybe you don't get it. She didn't explode out of it or anything, which is another testimony to her character. Um, you know, she takes all these concerns right to the Lord. But, but you feel it. I mean, he's trying to love his wife. He understands her pain. This has been a long-term thing that's going on in their household. Hannah, I love you. You don't need to cry. You don't need to be grieved. Am I not better to you than ten sons? I mean, you hear, you hear him trying to fix this situation, trying to make her feel better, but it just totally falls flat. Hannah gets up in verse 9 after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. It says, Now Eli the priest, sitting by the doorpost of the tabernacle, we'll get into Eli and his sons next week. Um, he's sitting by the tabernacle of the Lord. Verse 10, and she was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed to the Lord. She wept in anguish. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And that happened as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put away, put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, for the God of Israel, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So here, after the families finished their meal, Hannah, not responding to her husband, gets up from the meal and just turns her heart to the Lord. This is, this is, uh, is we just focus on Hannah as a biblical character. This is the only time that we see a woman before that, you know, where the description is given to us of a woman praying before the Lord in the tabernacle. This is the only time we see a woman making a vow and fulfilling a vow to the Lord in the word. And again, as we, as we watch Hannah in her circumstance and you sit in all the drama that she has going on and all of her pain and the misery that she has in the moment, what does she do? She takes that heart and she takes that pain and she pours out her soul to the Lord. This is just such a powerful um, scene and an exhortation to each one of us. I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago that here in verse 11, out of her mouth is, uh, you know, 
In verse 3, we are told, you know, this is the first mention of Yahweh as the Lord of hosts there in verse 3. Hannah, these are, she is the first person to speak this title of the Lord in her prayer to God. The Septuagint, so the Greek translation of the Hebrew translates as the Lord Almighty. Pantocrator is the Greek word, just the all-powerful God. He is the Lord of hosts, and the hosts in the sense of the, the stars in the heaven, the Lord of hosts in the sense of the angelic armies, the Lord in the sense of he is over the armies of the nation of Israel. And remember, this is a time of war. This is a time of battle in the culture. So as she is expressing a title to to our God, to her God, as she is pouring out her soul. She's crying out to God, who is her creator, who has the power to do whatever he wants to do. And back up to the prior paragraph, where what God wants to do in Hannah's life is bring about Samuel. And he has intentionally placed her into her life circumstances. God is the one who closed her womb. God is the one who prevented her from getting pregnant prior to this circumstance. God is the one who is working in Elkanah's life at the exact same time. As God is moving in her life and in her context and her personal intimacy with the Lord, she knows where to take her pain. She knows where to pour out her soul to. Fighting with her husband isn't going to do any good. Trying to avenge yourself against the rival second wife isn't going to do any good. Taking it out on the second wife's children isn't going to do any good in her life. You can see all the different ways that she could lash out against her context. And she doesn't. She takes those circumstances. She takes her heart. She takes her bitter soul and the pain that she's sitting in. And she lays it all out to the Lord calling him the Lord of hosts, the almighty God who is in control of the context of her life. But in that, in her exaltation of God, she repetitiously, repetitiously calls herself the maidservant of the Lord. She knows what her position is as a creature. Your position as a creature of the almighty God, you are his. Your life is his. The circumstances of your life are his. Your enemies are his to deal with. Your heart is his to deal with. Your circumstances are his to deal with. You lay those things out before him. You trust him. But what, are, what do we cry out to God to do? God, please see me. I need to see you in this circumstance. I need to remember who you are. I need to remember your son. I need to remember your sacrifice. I need to remember your provision. I need to worship you. I need to thank you. I need to remember God constantly. And in my remembrance of God and who he is, who he's declared himself to be, as I press into those truths and those facts, I tell myself those things all the time because I need to know that God sees me. I need to know that he's in control of my life. I need to know that he has truly forgiven me of my sins. I need to know that he is changing me into the image of his son. I need to know that whatever I ask him for, 
He is leading me in these emotions and the circumstances of my life. His spirit is within me, leading me in these groanings as I pour out my soul to him. God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. God, help me. God, help this person. God, lead. God, speak. God, show yourself. God, look at me. Remember me. Remember your promises. Remember what it is that you've said. Come and visit me. And her, it's almost an if you will do this, God, if you will see me, if you will know me, if you will remember me, the promises that you've given to me, if you remember, then I will. And she makes this vow. And what does she vow to do? She's asking for a child. And Lord, if you give me a child I will give this child back to you now here's the thing that you have to sit in again culturally religiously the firstborn that opened the womb God says they're mine even in the context so all the we're all gods anyways right he's he's the owner he's the possessor of everything so this is the reality everybody belongs to God very specifically, the firstborn are dedicated to God specifically. And again, in the culture and the context, the firstborn of the culture were ransomed. They were redeemed because God replaced them with the entire tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi is already God's. Any product that Hannah's body produces in a child already belongs to God. But she's going beyond. In, in the Old Testament, a Levite was to serve the Lord between the ages of 30 and 50. But God, if you give me a son, I will give him to you all the days of his life. From the moment he's born, he's yours. I will wean him. I will bring him to the tabernacle. And he will serve you before your face all the days of his life. Not just from 30 to 50, from birth till death. This is where we get baby dedications from. So we don't baptize babies because baptism, we believe, is a personal expression and a personal declaration that Jesus is my Savior and I am identifying with him. I am dead and buried, resurrected in him, new life in him. It's a public profession and a public initiation into the body of Christ expressing what has already occurred. So we don't do this for babies because it's not a saving act. However, we do everything except getting babies wet from Hannah's example. Lord, my kids are yours. Now, we're going to sit in this for moms. So our household, we are sitting in a trial run this week of our sons being gone. But by mid-August, our sons move out. We are officially empty nesters. We have had, you know, our daughter was 18 before she went off to college. Our sons are now 18. They're going to go off to college. We had our kids for 18 years before we sent them away. Moms, this is easy for dads because, you know, terrible twos are terrible and we want them to leave anyways. But can you imagine from the moment that you stopped nursing your, chi your child, any of your kids, that you take them to... A church, a congregation of the Lord, and you leave that child there and you leave. You come back on your annual visits, you come back with gifts and provisions, but can you imagine leaving 
your two-year-old, your three-year-old, your four-year-old child unto the Lord and walking away. Again, so listen, I want you to understand how how high um, God is lifting his daughter Hannah. In a life and in a circumstance that her culture told her she had no value. A woman's job was to produce sons. If you did not produce sons, you were not contributing to the household and you needed those sons in an agrarian culture. And you need those sons when you age and you need to take somebody to take care of you in your old age. I mean, this is part of the culture. She had zero value in her culture and she felt it. And that value that she did not have in the culture, she knew that it was God's work in her life. And the pain that she felt from God's activity in her life, she poured out her soul to the Lord. She makes this incredible vow. God's placing her exactly where she needs to be. He's working in her heart. He's working in her, in her prayer. He's working in her and making this vow that he will be a Nazarite. And again, how much, how much of a hero is Samson at, the, at this time in this culture? You know, we got Samson and we have Samuel is the only, and this weird little description in Numbers chapter 6 in regards to what a Nazarite is. So Samuel's had, or Samson has had a pretty successful uh, career as a judge in his wars against the Philistines. Personal character, very questionable, but as a judge, a hero of the culture of the day. So how many other women have heard the story about Samson's miraculous birth and are dedicating their children as Nazarites also? How many of them followed through on that? Again, I can't imagine this kind of cost of turning over your child. I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life there in verse 11. No razor shall come upon his head. He's going to have these long, glorious locks that I do not have that's going to point him out his entire life as a Nazarite, as in his role as prophet and in his role as priest as we go forward. Eli thinks she's drunk. That's going to play into the next chapter because that's all, that gives a snapshot of what's going on in the culture of other women that Eli is witnessing around the doors of the tabernacle. Again, there's, there's major issues that are going on culturally. She's not drunk. She's pouring out her heart to the Lord. Then in verse 17, again, Eli in his issues, which we're going to get into next week, you know, the Lord speaks through Eli in his position as priest. And what he says to her, that may God give to you the request that you've asked of him. Like there, there's something in Hannah and her relationship with God where she recognizes that that was a declaration of God, not just a nice, uh, the Lord bless you and be on your way kind of religious statement. Because there's a radical shift in her heart immediately. God give you what you've requested of them. And there's, there's, there's something in her that she knows that she is going to have her answer from God. And that's going to come from uh, the result of Samuel being produced. Because again, she gets up, she goes and eats her festival meal. Her face is no longer sad. Verse 19, they arose early in the morning. Once again, worshiping before the Lord. 
They returned and came to their house at Ramah, which is a shortened version of that Ramathayim Zophim, because none of us can pronounce that. Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Again, this isn't like the Lord forgot or anything, just language that here's the Lord responding to his will and to her prayer. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called, called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. In Samuel's name, in its etymology, means uh, the, the name of God and how it's being applied in, again, in the mnemonics, just in how things sound similar. That he has been asked uh, as she asked God for him, that God heard him. So Samuel's name means heard of God. This word for asked and Samuel's name is going to come up again at the end of the chapter. Again, in the Hebrew, there's a lot of play on words going on. Verse 21, man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, not until he's complete, until he's ready. Then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. I, lo I love that line because it's not just in this life, you know, between our natural birth and death. But when you are the Lord's, you are going to remain in his presence forever. It's not hyperbole. It's permanent. I love it. Verse 23, so Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Some of your translations may say, let the Lord establish your word. Uh, his and your are found in different manuscripts, and both are true. Let the Lord establish his word. Let the Lord make his word stand. At the same time, the vows that you make to God, the Lord establish your vows to him. You've committed to have faith in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior and your all in all. Whatever you have committed, whatever you have vowed to the Lord, let the Lord establish your word that he has produced out of you, right? These aren't, these aren't you know, our vows aren't supposed to be flippant. Our yes is supposed to be yes. Our no is supposed to be no. We're not supposed to, I swear by God. I swear by the temple. I swear by the cross. It's this, whatever you have vowed to the Lord, you have given yourself to the Lord. You vowed yourself. Let the Lord establish his word. Let the Lord establish your word that he has brought out of you in relationship with him. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Verse 24. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bowls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. If you want to know the background and all these sacrifices, you can go hang out in Leviticus and see all that. And the child was young. Again, you know, some people try and say, well, maybe he was five years old because they nurse kids long. He wasn't five years old. Every culture in the world, you nurse your child until they're able to take on solid foods and have a healthy diet and they don't need mother's milk anymore. This is two, three years old. He is complete. He's weaned. She may have held on to him a little bit longer. But this, he's a toddler. Moms, dads. I, again, I, you, you have to feel the, the cost 
She has asked for this child. She has vowed to give him to the Lord all the days of his life. She has weaned him. He is now on solid food. How many of you have any memories before three, before four? Anybody? I don't. I got maybe, maybe a couple little snapshots, and those snapshots are probably from pictures and not from my own memory. Like when she's dropping her child out, she knows like he's only going to have a yearly connection with his mom. She's only going to have a yearly connection with him. Sitting with Julie right now, just that, just that reality. She's been a mom for coming up on 22 years. This is all she's known as our sons leave the house. Oh, babe, am I not enough for you? Come on, everything's going to be great. She's going to have a different transition than I'll have. And I need to make sure to pray for her and to walk alongside of her. I can't imagine this life experience of just dropping your child off and walking away. But she's dropping her child off to the Lord. She's giving them to Eli. Eli doesn't have a very good reputation. His sons surely don't have a good reputation. And Hannah's part of a godly household. She is giving her son to God in fulfillment of her vow in faith, knowing that the sacrifice, the letting go, it's worth it and it's right and it's of God, and God's in control, and boy, what does God do in the life of Samuel? It's going to be fascinating to study. So when she had weaned him, she takes him up with the sacrifice. They slaughter there in verse 25, a bull. Bring the child to Eli. She said to him, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. So Samuel's name, um, when she said that she named him Samuel because she asked the Lord for him, uh, the word for asked here, the word for petitioned, and both of the words for lent in this passage at the end, they're all from the same root word. So they're all word plays. The Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. What does Eli think of this? I have no idea what I'd think if a toddler was dropped off at my doorstep. Eli hasn't been very successful with his own sons. You know, what women are a part of this culture that help nurture him and help take care of him? We're told in the, in the subsequent chapter that as Samuel is sleeping, he, he's hearing the Lord's voice, and he goes and he runs to Eli the priest. So we know that he is sleeping in Eli's household. So what women are in the household that are helping nurture this young man because his male role models in Hophni and Phinehas are terrible. But here, there's a, she comes prepared. She comes in fulfillment of her vow. She comes with a sacrifice, and it's a grand sacrifice. She is coming and celebrating what the Lord has done. She's coming in joy in the moment of the payment. 
the moment of fulfilling her vow, of the Lord establishing her vow, of the Lord establishing his word in regards to what he wanted to do in this certain man and in this certain woman. She comes and she offers a sacrifice. Here is the son that I asked for. I have devoted him to the Lord for his entire life. And what does she do? Go away weeping? Says that she worships the Lord. Again, gets low. Lifts God high. We don't have time this morning. We're not going to sit in it. But in this moment, she sings a kingdom melody. So the beginning of chapter 2, we have Hannah's psalm. Hannah's song. And in Samuel, as, as his books, as this book is bookended, we begin with a song of Hannah. We end it with a song of David at the end of 2 Samuel. So what I want you to do this week, I want you to sit in their lyrics. And sit in it in her story, in her context, in her time, in her emotion, in the very real sacrifice that she is giving to God in this moment. Sit with her in all of that and then listen to her soul pour out to God. And as she is singing, she is not just pouring this out to God. She's pouring it out to her culture for everyone to hear. Remember who God is. He's worth serving. He's worth making sacrifices for. He's worth the pain that is brought into your life, whether that pain is how the culture is identifying you, the different painful relationships that you've had in your life, whether with parents or siblings or children or those on the outside of your household. As we sit in all of the word of God, God is lifted up to the Lord reigns. He is sovereign. He is in control of your womb. All of you is his. See yourself as his property. You have been bought with the blood of his only begotten son that he sent to die your death because he loves you. We're watching Hannah sacrifice her son, giving her son, offering her son over for his whole life. Sit it within the New Testament, the father offering his son. Jesus, the, the almighty God, father, son, Holy Spirit, the son becoming like us, tabernacling. We're told that they, he took this on. And I have no idea what this means and how all this works out, but to become like us, he took this on forever. His resurrection is a physical resurrection in a glorified body that he ascended to heaven into, that he is coming back in. In what he became to become like us, he took on a, the God who does not change, changed himself forever to become like us so that he could be our mediator, making his creation, man and woman, male and female, in his image as one, unbreakable for all eternity. This is the offering that the Father has given of his Son forever. Again, there are so many themes of who our God is that are being played out in these narratives. These are not just boring history studies. This is the Almighty God expressing his heart to you and to me today. I created you. 
I own you. I am control of the circumstances of your life. I see you. I remember you. I will fulfill my word to you. I am your God. I am good. I am compassionate. I am loving. I am gracious. I am merciful. I am forgiving. Come. Come to me. I want you. I love you. Let's worship. Worship team, come on up. Father, I can't, I can't tell you how much gratitude I have for you. I am so thankful that you have repetitiously exposed yourself through your word, not just to me, Lord, but I, this, this is 3,000 years ago that you began your will in the life of a certain man and a certain woman. And through this narrative, Lord, you, you reveal yourself to me. And it causes me, Lord, to want to worship you just like Hannah worshiped you. To, Lord, to know you as the almighty God. To pour out my soul to you continually, whether it's pouring it out in gratitude and worship and praise and joy. Or if I'm pouring out my soul to you, Lord, in pain or regret or shame. There you are, Lord. You see Thank you for revealing your own son through this, through this offering of a child to you. Thank you for giving your son to us. As we worship you now, Lord, we remember you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.